And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Startup Hustle podcast. I am your guest host for the week. I'm Melissa Vincent, and I'm the executive director of Pipeline Entrepreneurs, a fellowship for high growth entrepreneurs who happen to call the Midwest home. We are also the sponsors for today. So you'll get to hear a little bit more about us in just a minute. But for now, I'm super excited to welcome our guest, who is also a Pipeline member, to hear her story about her company, Simple Strat, Ali Schwanke. Ali, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. So excited to have you because we have had the opportunity to talk a lot about marketing in the past, which is what your company does, as well as HubSpot and the whole spectrum of, you know, strategy and insights and, you know, everything else around businesses and marketing. But tell us a little bit about SimpleStrat, how you got started, what your story is, fill everybody in on who you are. Sure. Well, my entrepreneurship journey started at a startup weekend. And um, for those of you that have been to Startup Weekend, it's a three-day or in some cases, two-day event where you come with a problem and in that uh, short period of time, you pitch your uh, potential solution and then you know they vote on those solutions. And at that time, you select a small team and you essentially build what you will have as an MVP in that 48-hour period. So this was in the city that I was in. I had just taken a, a new job at an advertising agency about a year earlier. And I was just finding myself really um, just kind of antsy to do something else. I'd always um, always kind of, kind of had a side hustle, um, which mm-hmm. I, I love the, the name of this podcast. And so, <clears throat> excuse me. And so in that time period, we actually developed an, an application that was for the fitness industry. And um, so nothing related to what I do now, nothing. Um, but at that time, you know, we won the competition, which in startup land basically means you get um, the opportunity to go spend a lot more money and, and try to build your razor products. You know, we got some hours uh, dedicated to development, you know, we got some office space, but you know, really what we had is a, wow, that, you know, people, people kind of want this technology. Well, fast forward what I, excuse me, geez, what I learned really, really quickly was your product has to have a market that's willing to pay for it. And unfortunately, in this case, we, we did not. Mm. So what happened at that time was I, I had, you know, left my job and I was all excited for this. And at the time I said, why don't we just go ahead and start building a marketing function because I, that, that's what I knew. So started freelancing, long story short, um, we now uh, built a company that's built around services related to HubSpot and marketing tech and marketing operations, but we're also building a, a tech product for ourselves in the marketing space. So, you know, Simple Strat today is a HubSpot agency, but um, myself, I call myself a, a, a startup that um, found its way into product and services. So I can identify with all of the different uh you know, challenges that the people on pipeline as well as startup founders face as well. Awesome. 
So <clears throat> that's an interesting story because I didn't actually know that that was how you originally started was on a startup weekend. So um, what was that like before we kind of get into where you are now? I think for a lot of entrepreneurs, they view that whole pivot piece as something that is either a sign of failure, like, okay, this idea that I had, it, it isn't, you know, it isn't going to go where I thought it was going to, but how did you deal with that then? Like, did you feel like it was a failure or did you feel like, okay, we just learned something now we're going to shift over here? Yeah. You know, I think the things that I learned really quickly in that whole environment. So one out of a startup weekend, you have this really weird issue of like intellectual property. So even mm -hmm. though it was your idea, your whole team worked on it. So if you do actually want to take it and commercialize it and build it, like who actually owns that and do they want to be on your team? And so there was at that time, uh, there's a really good uh, a friend of mine who's who's a just a, a pillar in the startup community in the Midwest who advised basically, hey, Ali, if you're new to this, here's here's what you should do. And so I'd say number one, one of the first things I learned was that the importance of community and people who have have gone before you and <laughs> have experienced those roadblocks and obstacles. And I'd say podcasts like this are are also a staple to, to learn what other people have done, learn what their challenges have been, learn how they've succeeded. But in doing that, I also discovered that um, money solves a lot of problems. And when you don't have it, you tend to make, uh, you always tend to be in this kind of rat race of, of chasing the next dollar. So it, it, sometimes it's an unavoidable thing, but what I, what I discovered in that pivot was it was all my perception on failure as opposed mm -hmm. to other people. And what I also discovered is most people don't have, I'll say the guts or the courage to build their own company. And so a lot of times when you announce you're doing something new, let's say you're building a company, building a product, a lot of the people who are watching you are waiting for you to give up. And so they're waiting for you to post on LinkedIn that you took a job. They're waiting for you to say, ah, it didn't work out. Cause they're just like, if they, it, then for them, they feel better because they didn't go out on their own and experience that failure. Um, so the pivot to me was just a constant evolution. And I think those of us that are able to pivot did did well in the pandemic and those that were used to a little bit more even keel were in for a, you know a ruder awakening so i'm glad i had those lessons earlier on for myself absolutely and i think that that's another big piece of it does take a lot of courage um to be an entrepreneur and that's one of the reasons why um you know for pipeline entrepreneurs we focus on serial entrepreneurs so we're looking for the entrepreneur who if they have success they're going to exit they're going to get right back in and invest and start another company and if they fail they're going to get right back up and start another company or pivot and make you know adjust their idea so fast forward to where you are today with simple strat and you know you mentioned the pandemic so how, where were you pre pandemic and where are you now? And, and did you, what changes did you have to make because of the pandemic, if any? Sure. So as a company, we actually have a whole new staff uh, of production because we had a lot of changes in how we run our company. Everyone's office closed. I don't think that's anything that's probably unique to us, but we went from being more of a regional focus to now hiring remote team members nationwide. And so that's been, um, that's been a really great, I think, learning for us, but we've also had a couple of employees in the past that were at one time or another lived in another country for a while. Mm -hmm. So we had a little bit of a glimpse of that. Um, you know, what I, what we discovered in the pandemic, and I think everybody discovered this was 
you had to really revisit your roots and, and the business processes and the systems and all the things that there's no shiny object and no thing that that's a silver bullet. That's going to take care of all of those issues that you're facing. So it was like getting back to basics, putting time into strategy, putting time into recruiting, putting time into people, um, revisiting customer interviews, what are they facing? What are their challenges? And really doing the hard work of, of strategic build so that the next phase of our company, which is, uh, you know, we're, we're doing well, um, goes as strong as it could without kind of just a wish and a prayer. Right. Well, and that's the thing. The companies that I feel like have been super successful coming out of the pandemic really utilize the time as a ability to, to put a strategy together and to learn from it. And um, to kind of re revisit, right? Say, okay, we have this like slow, this unexpected, unanticipated, unwanted slowdown period. What do we do? And the the companies that I've seen that have come out the best are the ones that said, let's use this as an opportunity and let's let's look at our strategy. Let's figure out where we want to be. And I think that that you're an amazing example of of doing that. So as you are, so today. <clears throat> What is your, what, as you've kind of transitioned to this remote workforce, because I've been to your office, originally you had a, a, you know, recording studio and, you know, making, you know, marketing news, tell us where you are today and, you know, what's your focus? So if someone's coming to you, what are they typically saying? Hey, Allie, can you help our company do X? Yeah, sure. So I'll back up a little bit. We, um, in removing, moving remote, we still have our office and we're, we're in the, process of transitioning out. So, you know, I think transitions are just, are, are they're the new normal. We're always going to be transitioning right. in, in some way. The world's moving really fast. Um, but the, the things that we find, um, there's a couple of top questions that we find regardless of what we do. And, and that is one, what does my marketing need to look like today? Um, and it's, we're not even through the pandemic yet. You and I were just talking about some things that are kind of, you know, causing issues for, for folks now, but what does marketing look like going forward? And I think what I would tell you, having been in the industry for, for a while is marketing used to be reserved to a function. And it used to be, this is the marketing department. They do these things and, and they market the company. And I've been an advocate of this for a long time of marketing is not a department. Marketing is, it touches all aspects of the company. We may call it different things, but it really, if you have a poor customer service experience, it lends itself to poor customer retention. It lends itself to poor, you know, stories in the marketplace where people will say, don't trust that company. Or if you're a software company and that ends up on G2 or, or any sort of, you know, Capterra, that's going to be an issue for you. So your marketing team cannot overcome a poor customer service experience. You know, that being said, um, my husband works in, in software sales. And so in helping software companies with sales and marketing, it's fun to hear him as a sales agent, talk about some of the things that he's frustrated with from their marketing team. And that's, Hey, I sold this, but it wasn't what the marketing team said in their ad. Mm -hmm. And so technically we have some mismatch and there's always going to be some sort of communication challenge in the company. Otherwise you're, you're probably going to be done working. Like there, we're never free of challenges, yeah. um, but we're finding people asking about what, what they should do now. We're asking, they're asking what technology do I need to get today and set up today so that as we go forward, I can scale and spend less time working in the, in the data and let more time working with the people. Mm. I think that's one thing that we've all realized is 
regardless of how much technology you have, if it doesn't build a better relationship and more insights with your customer. And I think a lot of, especially startups that are looking to scale, they're hoping that the technology will scale for them. Right. But in fact, it's, it's very much like a, like a workout plan where your cardiovascular fitness gets at first, it just feels like you're creeping along. And then one day you go out for a run and you suddenly feel like, wow, this is easy. And it seems like it just happened, but it's this process of, you know, building that fitness. And so that, that involves resources, it involves time it involves people. And it also involves strategically looking at your tech stack over and over every, you know, six months, 12 months to make sure that what you want to do now is fitting with the, with the tools that you have. And so I'd say that those are the two biggest things we're seeing now because everyone went digital with their marketing and marketing teams got blown up and moved around and we came in and we left. And so we're seeing companies at all stages of trying to figure that out. Well, and and I would imagine with the pandemic that a lot of companies did one of two things. They either said, okay, like now we have to find new ways to do marketing because of the fact that if, especially if they were very direct to consumer and in, in, in person, okay, how do we reach people when we can't actually reach them in person? So you have that. And then there's other groups that I know who probably said, oh my goodness, panic, like, oh, you know, our, our funding or our uh, resources have gone down. So now we're going to like, I feel like marketing is one of the first things that companies think, oh, I got to pull that back and like cut, cut back on that versus saying, okay, like let's pivot, let's find a way to better reach to me, I've always felt like marketing is one of the things that you should be the first things to expand, right? Like, how do we tell our story? But did you see both sides of that during the pandemic where some people realized, okay, we just need to adjust and really try new ways. And then other people who said, oh, got to keep that budget inside because now I don't know what's going to happen. Yeah, this is why marketing, I think, is so difficult for for founders and, and teams that are not, you know, they weren't trained as, as marketing folks. And And, you know, this, the cat's out of the bag here and me saying this, I, you know, I don't have a degree in marketing. I don't, um, I have business, but you know, you learn marketing by doing marketing Mm -hmm. and you, it's a very, uh, feedback heavy type of environment. So if you try something and it doesn't work, then you pivot and try it again. So I think marketers who become entrepreneurs are are very well positioned for kind of that, like pivot and, and movement. But the reason why people you know, really struggle with where to cut when things get tough is yes, you should cut your marketing budget. If your entire market no longer has a demand for what your product is that, I mean, that right. goes back to product market fit. And so no amount of marketing can push a product onto folks that no longer need it. So yes. I think what's interesting is as we talk about marketing, a lot of people define it as like the promotion piece, but I remind folks that it's product, place, promotion, Price. Those were the four original ones that we all learned about in our business school. And then now we have like three others that have been introduced, depending on where you look at this. So there's people, process, and physical evidence. And wow. physical evidence is kind of a, like a cheap word because it's a P, but it's an F sound, right? <laughs> so, but with the people part, you, I, we're finding that more and more during the pandemic, regardless of whether you're a software company, a service company, an e-commerce company, People are asking, can I trust the people behind this company? Can I trust the salesperson? Is the salesperson someone that's trying to sell me something because of a quota or do they actually care about my needs? 
And we can all sense that. And so what happens is we go online looking for referrals and um, validation from our friends, reviews, you know, blogs, like we have a YouTube channel where I and my, and my co-founder teach HubSpot because we know that a lot of folks use HubSpot, but they actually don't really know what they don't know. And so they're afraid to talk to a consultant. They're afraid to talk to a HubSpot partner like myself, because what if she tries to sell me something? Mm. Nobody wants to be sold. Everybody wants to buy. And we all want to feel like we're empowered and educated, but a Google search does not make you an expert, right? Right. So the benefit of, of now is there's, there's a lot of content out there, but for companies that are hiding behind their content and they're not putting faces out there, I still lack a human connection to your company and without live events and without a lot of that stuff in person, they're resorting to the people that they do know. And so, so I think that we're seeing so much of the people component of marketing jumping in there. Um, and then if, if during the pandemic, your resources were cut because just you had to cut budget across, I, I would question how the, how the company defines marketing. You're mm. going to need, you're going to need budget for what I would call marketing, like operations and capital marketing expenses, a new website, a new marketing tech stack, you know, some sort of, let's say a, a technology that you need to sync your ERP system or something. Um, there's going to be capital or there's going to be marketing budget for lead generation and that's designed to pull new business in. So if there's no new business to be had, then you probably need to lay low for a while. There's, there's branding, there's going to be marketing budget for the, the sales enablement. So if, if you don't have the chance to do top of funnel marketing and you're just going like, Hey, you know what? Sales folks, let's call all of our current customers and see if we can help them in any new ways and innovate there then you probably want enablement stuff. Like we need some videos, we need some, you know, enablement, um, sell sheets. So it's really defined on how someone looks at their budget, those dollars and what they expect those dollars to do. So one, I wish we could rewind and just (laughs) listen to the, the, the different elements that you mentioned, because it's so powerful, but this is you in a nutshell, like everything that you're saying is like, again, I've always felt like this, which is why we've done lunch and learns with our pipeline people to have you talk about things. So if people are wanting to say, and I totally understand, nobody wants to be sold. And so you do, and you have this amazing resource of HubSpot videos. So where would someone find them if they wanted to learn more through your, your video collection around HubSpot? Yeah. So our, our videos are over on YouTube. If you search HubSpot, you'll probably see my face come up. Um, but it's, it's called HubSpot hacks. And, uh, the interesting thing is we, we created this content and, and a lot of companies come to us saying, Hey, can you help us create content funnels? Like you've created for yourself, which is great. Cause I'm, I'm a very authentic direct talking person. And I think if you're hiring a marketing resource, you should be able to look at them and say, do you do what you say that we should do? Yeah. And a lot of marketing companies will be like, no, we work on referrals only. And that's, that's kind of a cop out. But on the other hand, if you go to YouTube, you'll learn some of the things that you need to see without paying, paying any money. Right. Um, Cause you can learn from us, but typically in marketing, you have two kinds of budget. You have time and you have money or again, the combination of the two. Most people these days don't have a lot of time. And so yeah. if you don't have a lot of time and as a, again, if you get venture funding, one of the most, one of the first things you see most companies do when they get dollars is they invest in marketing because it helps them go faster. Yes. If you don't have the money, then it's going to take you the time, which is why sometimes you miss market opportunity because it takes you longer 
with resources to, to get to the, the place you need to be as a company. Okay, so I know that we're going to get back to that in just a second. But first, I have to say that thank you to our host, Startup Puzzle Podcast, for having Pipeline Entrepreneurs on as the sponsor for this week's podcast. If you are an entrepreneur in the Midwest, that would be Kansas, Missouri, or Nebraska, and you are thinking about joining the Pipeline Entrepreneurs Fellowship Program, check out PipelineEntrepreneurs.com. And thanks to Startup Hustle for having us here. So I'm going to do a quick pivot and talk a little bit about your experience with Pipeline as an entrepreneur. So you had the Startup Weekend piece. At what point did you come into the Pipeline Fellowship? Sure. So I was a fellow in 2018. And the the biggest thing that we were working on at that time as a company, and again, as we've spoke about, a lot of things have shifted and changed, but we, and, and I still, we're still working on this today, but we have this challenge as marketers in managing what feels like a sea of information, or as I called it, it feels like as a marketer, you are in the air traffic control tower trying to see like what's all going by, what's happening, what's going to crash into something else. Um, and how do you keep all of that straight and then go to the board meeting and the board's like, what is marketing doing and how's it working? I mean, mm. they, they just, they just want that. And how do you give visibility to all of that to people throughout the organization? Because communication breakdown is one of the biggest reasons why, um, you know, marketing and sales fail and there's all these silos. So we, we were working on a, a platform that helps you visualize, plan, and communicate that strategy throughout all layers of the organization. So the, the way that we discovered this is um, did some customer validation interviews among our clients, among other marketers throughout the nation, and discovered that one, if I walk into any company today and say, hey, can I see your marketing plan? The majority of them will be like, yeah, it's somewhere. <laughs> um, they don't really have it documented because it's either too complicated or it's, it's literally, <laughs> it's non-existent or, or it's, it's so, it's so detailed that think about it being more like a, it's, it's just like a, um, it's a project plan. Yeah. And so a project plan is not the same as, okay, who are our personas? Who are we going after? Think about every time you got feedback from a customer, if you got a testimonial, where would you save that in your company? And right now, again, the answer is like, well, we've got a Google Drive. And since everyone sets up their their marketing department differently, when a yeah. new marketer comes in and a new executive comes in, every time you have to try and make sense of it and you can't. And so what often happens is every time a new marketing executive comes into a company, they have their own agenda. They have their own ideas. They're going to change everything up, you know. And so you end up with a lot of starts and stops and, and just really lack of visibility. So in building that at the time, uh, you know, pipeline came on my radar and we decided to, to spin that off and really work on that as a separate product. And one, I didn't know anything myself about building these, you know, kind of MVP technology solutions beyond startup weekend. Yeah. And then, um, you know, didn't really have the resources to understand what if we do fundraising, what does fundraising look like? And so just recognize that one, the power of the community in pipeline would be something that I think I'd benefit from. Uh, two, obviously, I'd heard really great things about it. And then three, I, I knew that when we bring this product to market, eventually we're going to need a lot more um, beta testers is probably the wrong word, but we're going to need some folks that that really can get into the tool and use it initially. 
And so th that all ended up being a really great place for us. And, you know, obviously interviewed and, and was accepted into pipeline and it's been a wonderful experience. And one of the things that I think um, is powerful about pipeline is, is that network and the feedback. So you were talking about, um, you know, just authenticity and how important that is with your customers and with each other. And the thing about pipeline is the authenticity of giving feedback and also being willing to receive feedback. So, mm -hmm. you know, if, if when we are looking at a new fellowship class vulnerability and the willingness to just say, Hey, we're going to have people who are going to come and tell you your company may not be perfect as it is. We're going to help you get there, but you have to be able to receive that feedback. And that's, when you're a, a strong entrepreneur, sometimes it's hard to hear like, hey, there's something you could be doing better. The thing that I love about Pipeline is that I think that there is a core value of vulnerability that allows members to be able to receive feedback and then grow their companies. And so um, one of the things that I wanted to talk about with you is like when you have clients coming to you, do they ever struggle with that when you are saying, hey, here's the strategy, here's the plan, here's what we think we need to do you know, we're very careful in who we select that there is vulnerability, but when you have mm -hmm. clients, you can't control that. So do you, do you find that, that companies that are more willing to just kind of own where they are and say, we do recognize we need help have better success? Yeah, I think there's, there's two issues at play here. One is, unfortunately, there's enough poor marketers out there that I'm sure if you just threw a rock at someone and they'd be like, tell me who's had a poor marketing experience mm. and, and everyone will raise their hands. Right. And I, I think because of that, it, unfortunately there was, there was a survey that went out. So I'm not sure what company it was from, but marketers were, were near the bottom next to used car sales folks. Um, and you know, sorry, sorry, sorry for those guys, but, um, you know, one of, one of the things is, is really helping folks overcome that the reason why marketing fails. And unfortunately, a lot of times when, when folks go to hire, whether, even if it's internal marketing folks, if it's external resources, consultants, whatever, they bring them in on two notions. One is they hope that they just have all the answers. Mm. Okay. Tell me all the things to do. Well, one, we, I at least look at this very much like a medical, you know, endeavor. We need to do an MRI. We need to do an assessment. We need to do exploratory surgery. Like we don't know what's wrong with you yet. Right. I have, I have some inklings based on your industry and your situation, but we need to look at the market. What does your competitor look like? We can't simply say, because your competitor's doing X number of ads, you should do ads too, because whoa, right. their, their budget's something you could never compete with. Right, right. Um, so there's that. And then the other side is, if they are expecting all the answers, the flip side on the pendulum is they're expecting to tell you what to do because they know their business better than you do. Mm. Which again, the best scenario is, you know your customer, you know your market, you know your business, if you need help with marketing, then those two should come together. Right. And I think some of the things, common issues that, that I've seen is one, they have a curse of knowledge. They talk about their pr product or their solution as if everybody knows what they're saying. Right. And so they're not using words of their customers. They're using their own words and they're kind of got this like subject matter expertise. I call it like a language barrier. Yeah. So a lot of startups and, and not just startups, but even like well-funded companies, they're like, Hey, we're having some trouble with, you know, growing and blah, 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 or we want to do better with content marketing. And I'll go to their homepage and I'll say, what do you, I don't understand what you do. I, yeah. I, it's so unclear. 
And so that's one piece. And then the next piece is going to be they, if they do tell the external resource what to do. So let's say you do just need someone to help you design landing pages. You can't hold that party or even if they're internal, you cannot hold the party responsible for results that were your idea. Right. So, so it's like telling my logical, <laughs> I know like telling, telling my personal trainer, Hey, you know, I want to lose 10 pounds and then I don't do anything. But after a month, I'm like, dude, why haven't I lost 10 pounds? And he's like, well, uh, you know, I gave you the plan and you didn't even follow it. So that's a good so, analogy. Yeah. So the people that do have some, I mean, it is, it is emotional intelligence, yeah. the emotional intelligence and self-awareness to understand. These are the things that I know. These are the things that I don't know. And I need to be willing to communicate that to the partners that I work with so they can get me the best solution for where I am in my journey. Cause after like over time, you should become better. Like you should understand better about what a marketing function in your business does. Right. But there are some companies that just are going to be forever more sales led than marketing led. And there's, there's others that are vice versa. Yeah. And so the, a lot of that self-awareness and emotional intelligence is, is the sign of being a person that somebody wants to work with or work mm -hmm. for. If you're yeah. a founder, if you're a founder and you hire a VP of marketing and tell them what to do, they will be out the door. You will never attract good talent. You just won't. Because yeah. marketers want to be able to drive the bus, but you have to give them the budget and the the buy-in and the voice to do so. Exactly. Well, and so one of the things that I think a lot of founders and, and companies think through, so when you're a startup, you know, your team is super small. So you're like, how do I, you know, how do I actually like outsource this? And then at some point you think, well, okay, I've grown. Do I need to bring this in house? So tell us about kind of that path from your perspective. Yeah, I think it's people tend to overcomplicate this a little bit. And I'm going to use an analogy of parenting. So when you're parenting a small, you know, infant, the needs that that infant has, you're constantly attentive to those needs. And and the way you parent a one year old is far different. Maybe not on Sundays, but far <laughs> different than how you parent a teenager. And because of that, you, you, you don't realize what you used to do, you know, when they were little and compared to when they're older and companies will also see this. So they either get stuck in a rod of like, I, because we started small and I was in charge of marketing, then I hire a marketing person. And now I'm just like, I'm, I'm sort of conditioned to tell them what to do. Cause I did that mm -hmm. in the early days. Right. But, um, or they see what venture company over here did and they figure from day one, they need a marketing director, but they, you know there's no budget. There's no, they, they haven't even gotten product market fit yet. Right. So there's, there's certain building blocks you have to have in place, but I guess the journey really looks like in the early days, you need, you need fast thinkers, innovators that can help you prove that your product is worth its salt and that people want it. And so that's not a growth hacker. It's literally someone who's the best people listen to customers. They put the, the needs, with the product development and they just constantly get feedback. So, you know, I, I tend to look for, if people have done it before, they've got it. But yep. if you're hiring young talent, even an intern who's been a marketer in college, like a marketing intern will not help you if they're not curious and constantly open to feedback. So I've talked to companies that want to hire an intern to help do, you know, LinkedIn marketing. And I was like, you don't need to spend any time on LinkedIn marketing yet. <laughs> You, you, you need, you need this intern to be constantly asking the question, but this is why I think founders that come out of an industry, like if you're a lawyer and you come up with a solution for lawyers that has some sort of technology base to it, 
you know the industry, people trust you. A marketing intern who doesn't have any experience in law is not really going to be that helpful to you right? because they need more of the domain knowledge than the marketing knowledge. So as you move forward, some of the basic things that you'll need to start considering is, okay, we need to start having a place to catalog these conversations to do some basic like an email every month on the progress on your product. That yeah. should be something you should do. And then as you move forward, there's going to be things like, um, do we hire first for design? Do we hire for content? Do we hire for, you know, paid ad customer acquisition? All of those things depend on what your strategy is. But in those middle phases, you're going to most likely have specialists. And then you're most you're either going to have an agency or the founder directing those specialists as to where to go. And then at a certain point, when you have a predictable, scalable way to acquire customers, then you're going to be building a marketing team internally. But until you have that predictable way to acquire customers, you shouldn't be hiring all sorts of like executives because what if the, the path to those customers is not scalable? Mm. Such good advice. Hold on one second. Can you still hear me? No, I can't. Okay. I lost you there for a second. Okay. <laughs> we'll just use that as an opportunity to thank Startup Hustle for having Pipeline Entrepreneurs as this week's sponsor. It is our recruiting season for our 2022 class, which sounds crazy, but it's that time of year. So if you are an entrepreneur in the Midwest, that would be Kansas, Missouri, or Nebraska, please feel free to check out pipelineentrepreneurs.com to apply today. So one of the things that I wanted to talk to you about, because I always love asking female founders this question, is what it's been like, and, and it ties into this new recruiting class that we have. So for the first time, Pipeline Entrepreneurs is starting a second class of entrepreneurs, and that is, so we're recruiting for two classes. One is the, what I lovingly refer to as Pipeline Proper, which is the program that you went through, <laughs> the traditional pipeline. And then there's a second class that we're starting that will be um, virtual with a little bit of in-person, but it is specific to founders who are still working full-time. And as you mentioned earlier, side hustle. So you have this idea and when you are applying for pipeline traditional and for proper, you have to be working on your company full-time. And so that is like your baby, you've already made that leap. But what we realized in recruiting last year is that there's a lot of people who have really great ideas, but are still having for financial reasons or whatever else to work full time and do that as a side hustle. And so this new programming is specific for those people, so people who aren't working on their startup full time. And even more specific than that is we recognize that there's not necessarily an even playing field for everyone to be able to get to that place where they could run their company full time. So the new programming, we're really focusing on female and minority and, and rural entrepreneurs um, and the specific, specific needs that they have, being able to offer the programming virtually in the evenings and everything else. So in light of that big, long explanation, what has it been like for you in particular to be a female entrepreneur? Um, have you ever had any struggles as a, as specifically as a female entrepreneur. And then I want to get a little bit into work-life balance too. Sure. 
I really struggle with the answer to this question and some, I'm sure this will probably anger a a few females out there, but I've never, I've never literally embraced the the label. Um, cause I, I've, I've looked at it from both sides. I said, if I believe that there needs to be a support system out there, but I'd also think that when you assign yourself to some specific limitation in your mind, it, it becomes an excuse or, or a hold back for a lot of things. So, um, it might be things to my parents. I'm the oldest of four. So I, Mm -hmm. I already have a very type A personality, but my, my dad, when I was growing up, he, I remember a walk with him when I was going to college and he said, I never want you to settle for things that, you know, you, you should get regardless of whether you're married, single kids, whatever. And, you know, I, I don't want you to, to just simply become a part of, of a man's life. I want you to, Mm. to, to succeed on your own. Um, and like, I'm sure he didn't use those words. That sounds very boring, (laughs) but, um, (laughs) but I, I, you know, and I, and I remember my, even my grandparents, you know, I would, I would take a lot of, um, just a lot of leaps when I was younger. So I think there is some, there are some people who are just naturally building that courage muscle throughout their whole life. Um, I was always going to things I I didn't do very, like I did well in school, but I didn't have a whole lot of friends. I was kind of an, an, an an oddball. I had a couple close friends, but I didn't really care what people thought of me because I was just okay. Like being myself, you know? And, um, it turns out that's actually a pretty strong trait of an entrepreneur. Yes. And so I think that some of the things that you're naturally dispositioned to, regardless of your gender, affect your ability to, uh, to easily transition into an entrepreneurship role. Yes. I think the things I've learned, like I've, 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 I bought a book a while ago that was something like secrets of six figure women or something like that. And I was, I was pretty flabbergasted to learn that most women who start their businesses never make over six figures. Wow. Um, and I think, you know, there's a lot of, I think anytime you're looking at statistics, you, I, yeah. you need to look at where the data came from and all yes. that kind of stuff. Yes. But I think one of the things that's skewing that data is a lot of women owned businesses are registered, you know, through the state, but they're really just like a part-time business. Right. So right. I, I do this on the weekends or I babysit or whatever. Right. Um, I think the biggest challenge that I've noticed in female foundership is I, I asked a, an advisor to pipeline. Um, we were just having this conversation. I said, Hey, do you know any other, um, female led businesses that have you know, a, a staff, you know, employees that, that I might be able to just chat with because I want to make sure that I'm not being too personal with my employees. Yeah. Um, yeah. but also at the same time, not being this, you know, kind of for lack of a better way to put it like a cold bitch, you know? Um, <laughs> and, and so he said, you know, Ali, I don't really, I don't really know any other people mm. like yourself that, that own a business, uh, in, at least in our area that are, that are female that have a staff. Um, it's usually like, you'll see a lot of solopreneur females. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. So, um, so I think being a female founder, I, I would put that aside to say there's a lot of things that you have to do in order for you to get to the next level. And sometimes like the support of my spouse has been a hundred percent, you know, he's on board, but I will yeah. tell you when I wrote the letter to resign from my job, when I eventually went on my own, I said, Hey, I, I submitted this letter. Um, and I, I ran the numbers. I think I think a hard thing too, is you have to run numbers. You have to be a diligent business person before you even get into business. Right. It's not all and and people congratulate you on day one, when you quit your job to pursue something full-time and then they just go back to their life and you're like, okay guys, you know, now I'm off here by myself and everyone assumes it's going well. So then they'll check in with you and they're like, how's it going? And you never want to be like, 
Yeah. I just, you know, I, I can tell you about all the times, like, Hey, one year I did this wrong with my sales tax and I ended up owing all this back tax. Yes. One year I got, I got a letter, two letters from a lawyer, you know, claiming cease and desist on something I was working on. Like you yeah. start to become aware of all these, these things that plague you as an entrepreneur. But now, you know, 10 years later, you look at it and go, why was I worried about that? Yes. Your problems like continue to get bigger and you're like, okay, I just signed a lien on my, you know, my lease. I'm responsible for $300,000 in the next two years, (laughs) you know, stuff like that. So, so I think it's, it's building that support network and then also not like not letting that self-limiting belief of like, well, it's because I'm a woman, I can't get funding. Right. I've talked to a lot of women where like, you haven't done enough customer validation and nobody wants your product. Yeah. Yeah, which is one of the very first things in pipeline that we go over, which is, is, you know, who is your target customer? And then is their product market fit? You know, what, what is your strategy? And so if you haven't thought through those things, then taking that leap of faith may not be, you know, one of the things, and, and this comes from being an entrepreneur myself and having both a tech company and then also a software development company is that you have to have an MVP. Like you can make things so simple but making sure that there is a product market fit before you build anything to scale. I think so many people are like, I'm going to raise, you know, X million dollars. So that way I can build out this technology. And it's like, they don't even have an MVP. I mean, there's so you can MacGyver things in amazing ways today and make things even, you know, there's a lot of tools out there that feel like they're a real app when it's just virtual, basically screens being put together, but it allows you to see what's the feedback. How are people using it? your product, all of those things without ever having to write any code, but it gives you the opportunity to get that feedback before you say, I'm going to quit my job and I'm going to go do this. Um, I, so I love your point there, which is that, you know, one, having that, you know, awareness to say, I have to understand that there's product that I have to do some work and dig in prior to going out on my own. And two, not as a female founder, I think the thing that I picked up on in what you were saying and, and, is that I, so for me personally, when I was a female entrepreneur, I did not have female mentors and have women in tech who I could go to and say, Hey, tell me about this. So to your point, you're, you know, you're out there on your own and you're like, okay. Who, and thankfully I had amazing uh, male mentors who had been so successful in startups that I was able to say, Hey, what about this? But there was something lacking in being able to have someone like you, like an alley or someone else to say, Hey, going through this and, you know, how would you suggest that, you know, just being able to have that camaraderie and the network. And so I think that is the place where, you know, Pipeline has fit this amazing role and being able to have this amazing network of advisors and other members and other fellows and adding this new class allows us to kind of expand that to a little bit of an earlier stage founder and hopefully help them get to a place where either they realize that maybe this isn't like they need to pivot. This may not have the right spot in the market or that, you know, let's help them build to get to the place in their company where they can do it full time. But all of that requires, again, vulnerability and the ability to take feedback and hear it because it doesn't always mean it's going to be successful. I mean, you can have a really brilliant idea and it does not mean that it's going to go be that unicorn that everyone thinks it's going to be. Yeah. The thing that's hard to understand when you're at that part. And I, I think that myself, everybody's been in this position where you, you have to come to terms at some point of, 
are you in love with the idea of being an entrepreneur more than actually being an entrepreneur? Um, because if that's the case, if you just love entrepreneurship, it doesn't matter what the idea is because you're going to pivot and find something. Right. If you're convinced that that thing that you're coming up with is the end all be all, and it doesn't even work and someone else does it before you do, you're going to forever be sore that like, well, that was my idea. And ideas are a dime of dozen. Yes. It's the execution behind yeah. it. And once you start, once you start on that journey, you realize that there's all this like unsexy, boring stuff yes. <laughs> that comes along with it. And then there's also the, oh, now I have to sell this. Doesn't it just sell itself? And that's a hard thing for some folks that are never like, if they're not from a sales role natively, right. they, they struggle with a lot. And I think too, it's also being able to put the right team together. And mm -hmm. I always try to say this to entrepreneurs, which is, you know, there's a certain personality type and you and I have that where we're, we're both serial entrepreneurs at our core. I mean, we were constantly thinking of pivoting and how can we adjust this and, you know, just putting the work in and have had side hustles before we ever even realized we're an entrepreneur. And, and I think that that's why pipeline people get along. They found their group of people because we're very similar in how we think completely curious, totally nerdy. Like again, kind of that, like was always off thinking about things in a certain way. And you're like, Oh, there's other people like me. Mm -hmm. um, but I think for a lot of people, they feel like when they start a company that, you know, they're like, okay, well I have to be all things to all people. And as you grow, you're not going to be right. Like, so if you have a co-founder, you know, you kind of want that yin and yang and the balance of that, because some people are really great at operations and some people are more visionary. And, mm -hmm. you know, there's, there's different skill sets as you go along that help you put the right team together. Mm -hmm. So how did you, did you start with your co-founder or did you bring in, was it just you or did you have a co-founder to start with? Yeah, it was just me in the beginning and it, it kind of, you know, we didn't know each other prior to, which I think is, uh, I don't, again, I don't have any other reference point right. to measure from, but it was a good fit for us. We, uh, he was actually in an office down the, down the hall, um, from us and discovered that he was closing his business down. And so at the time I said, I was, I was interested in his office space. And so I'd reached out and, uh, you know, basically someone had said, you, sh you need to have, have coffee with Ali. And at that point, we joke about this because it was one of those like, okay, fine, I'll meet this alley chick, you know. And um, you know, upon upon meeting, we discovered that we shared a lot of the same vision for what we wanted to build. We'd also both concepted some sort of you know kind of software around this. And so you know, that was that was four years ago that the two of us have now worked together as co-founders. And it's definitely there's times where you go, I wonder if this would be easier just if I was by myself and yeah. you know I didn't have to like always meet with someone else. But then the majority of the time. I mean, I will say all of the time you go back and say that person has the qualities that I do not have. And I'm very, very thankful for them. Um, so if you haven't found that person that does compliment you well, then they're probably still out there, but that yeah. doesn't mean that every, every co-founder is going to be a good, good relationship for you. So, um, it's just hard to, to know upfront. And it's another one of those, you're going to make mistakes and you're yes. just going to have to embrace that. And side note to that, also make sure that you're, you have a really good operating agreement because yeah. when it comes to having a co-founder, it's like a marriage. And even if you think it's going to work out great and you're going to be married for forever, there's a chance you might get divorced. And you want to make sure that your operating agreement highlights how 
things get handled if it's successful and also if it's not successful. So um, lots to learn about that for most entrepreneurs and certainly an area that I have made a lot of mistakes in and have learned from um, in having the wrong co-founders and also realizing the value of a really solid operating agreement. So you had mentioned earlier about having a really great resource. And so who who did you use? Because I have a feeling I know who it is, but... <laughs> Yeah. Um, I mean, initially that was the advice that I had gotten and I, I have a healthy awareness of the things that I don't know. So I'm like, I'm going to just avoid some of these, you know, road, road landmines that other folks have gone through. And I, I heard a lot of stories in pipeline of folks that had, had had unfortunate, you know, legal fallouts. Um, but we worked with the e-legal studio, Bart Dillashaw and team, yes. um, and great. um, yeah, but we, you know, we started working with our local university. They had a, um, a law school. And so we actually started there with some of the oh, law students, awesome. which was great. But in the end, you know, that they learned, we got kind of a starter point at that point. Um, and then we knew that we needed to do more work on it. Um, so we, we worked with Bart, um, Bart's team directly and, and grants actually our main point of contact there. But, you know, we've let, we've leaned into them for things like employee contracts and how do we make sure that, did we promise someone a bonus in their offer letter? Oh, great. Is that written strong enough that if they had poor performance, we don't offer it to them. So there's mm -hmm. been, you know, there's been mistakes like that, that we've made. And after you do, again, a lot of stuff in your business, you do it once and you'll never do it that way again. Yep. So I, I think, again, just embracing that mindset of, well, that, okay, chalk that up to my school of hard knocks or there, there goes my MBA, you know, yep. in that, in that thing. So definitely accounting and legal. I, I hired an accountant day one as well yeah. and could, could not be happier, but I also, um, yeah, in a previous business, I had a, a, that sales tax fiasco. So I think I learned my lesson there. <laughs> yes. So note to self as we wrap up here, make sure if you are just starting out that two key areas are really, truly accounting and legal, especially making sure that as you start to add a team and you're setting up your company and adding co-founders that you get that right. Huge shout out to Bart Dillashaw because he is a advisor for Pipeline and has been such a phenomenal resource to so many of our members and just a great resource to the entrepreneurial community. So if you are in the Midwest and looking for someone for some advice, please reach out to Bart Dillashaw. He is just absolutely fantastic. Um, and with that, speaking of absolutely fantastic people, Allie, thank you so, so much for being here sure. today and sharing your story. And again, remind us one more time how to get in touch with you and where to go if people want to find out how to utilize your company. Sure. So there's a couple of places, you know, I'm a marketer, so you could probably find me on the on the interwebs, but um, simplestrat.com is our um, website. We've got quite a few resources there, free resources, marketing, eBooks and, and guides and plans and that kind of thing. Um, but if you are a HubSpot user or your company leverages HubSpot for your sales, marketing, service or operations functions, we do have that free YouTube channel over on YouTube. Just search HubSpot Hacks. You'll find us there. And again, have some more uh, free HubSpot resources for you over there. Awesome. And as we close out, I have to say again, thank you to Startup Hustle for having us. This episode has been sponsored by Pipeline Entrepreneurs. We are a fellowship for high growth entrepreneurs in the Midwest, Nebraska, Kansas, Missouri. If you are an entrepreneur from any of those states, make sure you check out pipelineentrepreneurs.com to apply for our 2022 fellowship. Allie, so appreciate you. Thank you so much for joining us today and we'll talk soon. Thanks. Bye everybody. Bye. 
Startup Hustle is brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button, then come find us on Instagram. See you next time. Like we do it.